And we are live back with another episode of Shifting the Narrative on Everything Autism. I'm Torin Kearns, and as usual, I'm joined by the autism sage herself, Mama Baden. How are you? I'm good. Um, the sun's shining. That's always a good sign for me when the sun is shining. But I'm doing good today. I had a productive morning, and I'm excited about our podcast today because we have a guest. Um, would you like to introduce yourself, Anna? Sure. Um, my name is Anna Maria Arcos. And I am a licensed marriage family therapist. I also work as a behavior analyst in the state of Florida. I've worked with the autism population for 16 years. And what's been fun transitioning, I'm 40 now, so I'm well into my adulthood. But (laughs) coming from teenage years to young adulthood, I realized I have a lot in common with a lot of my clients. And Mm -hmm. that's been my journey. So not only professionally, but my experience growing up, not knowing the variety of diagnoses that I have. Yes. That I found out as an adult. So yes. Would you like to share a little part of that journey for our listeners? And and then we can talk about the work that you're doing to help support families. Absolutely. So um, I guess reader digest version, as I call it the summary, because <laughs> it can get very long winded. Um, I started realizing my what I call my DSM diagnoses mm-hmm. in my late 20s and early 30s when mm-hmm. I started really working with specific populations, autism, ADHD, ODD, anxiety. Mm-hmm. And it was as an adult that I started I just decided, let me start getting evaluated because I feel like I have more in common and I can really relate not only to my clients, but to the parents in Mm -hmm. certain circumstances. And as a child, I really struggled, um, not only academically with, uh, a lot of learning disabilities, you know, with reading comprehension and especially math. Mm -hmm. Um, as I got older, I not only struggled academically, I struggled socially. I had a very difficult time and I still do to a degree, very difficult time reading social cues. Mm-hmm. You know, part of it, I contribute to uh, one of my diagnoses, the ADHD, mm-hmm. and the other one I contributed to my social pragmatic disorder, as they gave yeah. me in my 30s, which mm-hmm. answered probably all of the questions I probably had in my head as an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a child, I struggled academically. I struggled socially. It was very hard to make friends, very hard to keep friends. It was very hard to even just initiate a conversation or carry a very simple conversation of, hey, how was your weekend? Mm-hmm. Yeah just couldn't. Mm -hmm. Um, and then academically was also very frustrating because I felt really, really dumb is Mm -hmm. the best word I can describe it as a kid. I was like, uh, up until my early twenties, I generally felt that I was not an intelligent person and I had nothing to contribute. Mm -hmm. And I I know that feeling (laughs) it's, it's very hard. And so when I work with parents now as an adult, um, as a family therapist, as a behavior therapist, Mm -hmm. the main thing I tell the parents is that, no, I'm not in your shoes. I don't have a child with a diagnosis. Like Mm -hmm. I'm a new mom, fresh mom. She's only 14 months. And Mm -hmm. oh my goodness, 40 (laughs) years old to be a mom. I don't know what I was thinking, but (laughs) I tell parents, I can't relate in that regard, but what I can relate to is your child because Mm -hmm. I was your child. I was the child that front of the class, front of the class, my last name starts with an A and 20 years ago, that meant you're in the front. Yes. 20, 30 years ago, you're in the front of the classroom. I'm in the front of the classroom. And I was ignored beyond belief, Mm -hmm. academically, socially, 
And I think that was probably the hardest part growing up is feeling that you're dumb, feeling that you're a nerd or you're a dork. Nobody wants to be friends with you. Nobody wants to talk to you. If you sat down somewhere, you were by yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a very hard thing to go through. Mm -hmm. I think as a child, especially as a teenager, I am very grateful and blessed that I did not grow up in the social media world that we have right now. Mm -hmm. Um, That would have made it that much worse, especially me coming from a background where diagnoses wasn't really something that you pay attention to. You don't pay attention to it. I'm the daughter of immigrants. I was my family. My parents were born in Ecuador, raised in Ecuador. I was born in Ecuador, raised in Miami. Now Miami is a huge melting pot of Latinos and the culture and everything, but it was more of a try again, read it again, Mm -hmm. listen, pay attention, try harder. Mm -hmm. And there was always something that felt like it was you. Mm -hmm and not everybody else around you. And as I got older, the one thing I realized that I don't think I pay attention to enough as a child, even though I noticed it, but I didn't emphasize the importance of it was how much my mom advocated for me as a kid. And just knowing that at least my safe place was home. Mm -hmm. And that's what I try and tell these parents, Mm -hmm. regardless of the diagnosis, regardless Mm -hmm. of what the medical books say, Mm -hmm. regardless of what is going to happen, Mm -hmm. you're always going to be the safe place. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you say that, Anna, because I had a session earlier today and it's a family of a new three-year-old and that's exactly the message I give to my families. But I, I told them, I said, listen, yeah. you know, kids are not always going to have the best therapist. They're not always going to have the best teacher. Yeah. I would love for them to have the best teacher. I mean, my expectation Amen. is, um, yeah. but if they have a home front that gives them yes. that sensory safeness and advocates for them and they know um, that they have that it really does help them get through with less damage. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. So um, um, it's important. So it's nice to hear you say that. And as a yeah. family therapist, sometimes I, I feel like I should, and I'm saying this with all honesty, not from a conceited standpoint, but sometimes I honestly feel like after 27 years of working with families, I'm like, can I just get that certificate in family counseling? Because I feel like I do marriage counseling and family. Yes. Yeah. Most of the time. Absolutely. But, um, I would love for you, if you can, Absolutely. Um, I heard you say that. And so my background is speech therapy, when I was a speech oh, therapy, we worked on that. social pragmatic disorder. Nobody talks about that anymore. Nobody no. talks about it. What Nobody is knows. that, by the way? And that's what I want. I'd love for you yeah. to ex- like even auditory processing. It's like a new word. I'm like, auditory yeah. processing is not new. We did it's that not. when I was a speech therapist. Nobody yeah. talks about it anymore. So in regards to you said something, and I think our listeners, especially our parents who are really trying to understand the difficulties and challenges of engaging and initiating, right? Yeah. Um, can you explain in, in any way possible to help listeners understand like what that, so when I hear you say, you know, to say hello and you know, how was your day? And you're like, okay, well, <laughs> so for myself as a person who is clearly uh, extroverted and talks to anyone and everyone who's even standing still or eyes closed or open, it's hard for me to understand that process, right? I get it logically. So can you help listeners understand that social pragmatic and what that means connected to ADHD? Because I think yeah. our listeners will be able to gain some insight and see some possible similarities in their children. Yes, sure. So I was given the social pragmatic disorder diagnosis probably my early mid thirties, mm-hmm. 33 to 35 is around there where I got it. And I remember looking at the psychiatrist cause I was there for ADHD, but he specialized in autism. Mm-hmm. And I remember asking him, 
being honest, you know, and him knowing what I did for a living, what are my diagnoses? Mm -hmm. Anxiety, mm -hmm. the ADHD, mm -hmm. mood disorder, mm -hmm. genetics, mm -hmm. and then the social pragmatic. And I remember asking him, what is that? And then he looked at me and said, listen, um, at your age and your ability to have graduated, you know, college and work and hold a job, I'm going to be very conservative with this diagnosis, which is mm -hmm. why I gave you this one, which basically means that I have difficulty reading social cues. Mm -hmm. So when you combine that with ADHD, that you're long-winded, that you can't stay on topic, that you interrupt, and then on top of that, I can't read social cues as to when a conversation is beginning, when it's ending, when it's changed courses, when somebody facially or body language-wise is not interested, mm -hmm. or any of those things. So I have always had difficulty, especially as a child making friends or even just basic conversations. So when mm -hmm. somebody, when you have those difficulties naturally and somebody mm -hmm. goes, Hey, how was your weekend? The anxiety spikes and goes, Oh my God, how am I going to answer this correctly? Mm -hmm. Because I don't know. I had a boring mm -hmm. weekend. I really didn't do anything. I think I watched TV. And then by the time your mind goes to the ADHD part of, Oh my God, what did I do? And you know, mm -hmm. and then you're like, Oh wait. And then the person's like, hi, you know, <laughs> like, you know, how was your weekend? You're like, you want to say good, but then something stupid comes out of my mouth. Like not boring. It was boring. It was the worst, you know, freeing weekend I've ever had. I didn't do anything. You wouldn't believe what my mom said. And then this whole long winded conversation comes out and they're like, and you're just like, you know, as a child, as a teenager, as a young adult, yeah. as a regular adult at 40 years old, you're just like, damn it. Stop at it. Stop. <laughs> just stop talking. And that's where socially, from a personal standpoint, it really hits at your self-esteem because you're like, damn it, brain, can you just stay mm -hmm. on one tab? Mm -hmm. Just one tab. And can I have the mouse? Because I always say my brain has like 25 to 50 tabs open at a time. I never know, but I know the range is 20 to 50. Mm -hmm. If I'm really anxious, it'll be up to 100. And somebody else has a hold of this mouse. Yeah. And it's not me. So. Yeah. When it when you have a variety, and I think a lot of people, what they don't understand, these diagnoses have always been around. I just don't yeah. think we have the resources, the education, or the interest really in actually going, hey, listen, mm -hmm. this is this and this is that. And mm -hmm. you can have more than one diagnosis at the same time and have it occur mm -hmm. yes. at the same time. Yes. And so the parents are going, okay, they're ADHD, supposedly, but then they're really good at this. Mm -hmm. And they can pay attention for hours on this activity. Mm -hmm. And you're mm -hmm. like, yes, that's ADHD. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. the mean part of ADHD. It tricks you <laughs> and tells you you're really good at something because you're actually good at it and it requires no effort. But then you're telling me to go wash the dishes and I can't remember where the soap is. <laughs> if you didn't put it in the same place, because God forbid mm -hmm. you moved it. Because mm -hmm. then my brain doesn't register. Yeah. Where did the soap go? Okay. ADHD brain is a fun experience it's, for sure. It is. Um, it really is. One of the things you said so much awesome stuff and a lot <laughs> of it I relate to because I have a, a lot of similarities. Mm. I've told a story on the podcast. There's a little difference when you're growing up as the child of like immigrants. I didn't. I grew up, I grew up, my, my parents are American. My experience a little different from, because a lot of the experience we see is sort of white Eurocentric, like American experience. Mine was different because I grew up in the projects. I'm mixed biracial. When you're like that, basically no one has any expectations to do, period. 
But that's the it's when you as you know, when you grow up in an immigrant household, it's the opposite that expectations are high. I, I've told a story before. My best friend Henry has been on this podcast. His dad's Guatemalan. And the first time I met his dad, I came over to his house. And the house looks it looks like it looks like they were moving, like everything's disarray. And Henry's having like a breakdown. I walk in and Henry's having like a breakdown. And I'm like, what's wrong? He won't even talk to me. And eventually he's able to say, like, I'm trying to move because I'm I'm I'm, I'm trying, he's 18 now, so he, he was trying to move. He was trying to move from upstairs just to the basement. Okay. And he was attempting to move a mattress down two flights of stairs by himself. He's a big guy, but it's hard to move a mattress down flight of stairs by yourself. So I go to his dad, I'm like, you know, why aren't you helping your kid? And his dad explains to me, he goes, in Guatemala. Whenever this guy starts with in Guatemala, you know he's gonna say some bullshit. So it goes, in Guatemala, once you're 18, you're considered a man, and, and there's no longer right for the parent to help their kid with anything. I'm like, you can't help them move a mattress down a flight of stairs? And he goes, no. So, so do that, two men in Guatemala do not help each other either? Is it? I don't know, but that's, that's what he told me. That's what he told me. So, and that's how this, that's how my friend got raised. He turned out okay, but that's how he was raised as an autistic person where basically we're not, not only like, we're not going to help you at all. You're you're just going to have to figure it out. So most of his life, it's just been sort of like just figuring it out on his own for better or for worse. Mm -hmm. So it's a different experience. And I think that's an important experience to talk about because autism doesn't just affect like middle-class white people no it doesn't it affects everybody so i love having people with different experiences Mm -hmm. one of the things i want to bring up and i guess just get the elephant out of the room right now this podcast uh is to say it lightly a bit critical of aba yeah and i'm sure Mm -hmm. you understand why there's a lot of yes there's that it's gotten a bad rap i'm a bit more open-minded towards it Mm -hmm. just because i understand there's a lot of what's called ABA isn't like the traditional ABA, which is bad. It's really evolved and, and, yep. and it incorporates all bunch of new stuff. So what I want you to do is sell us the case because uh, you 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 practice that. Sell us the case for it yes. and why it's not what it used to be and what a lot of people still think it is and why it can be a help for some autistic kids. And, okay. and just for just for context, Anna, and I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't, I'm not a, uh, as Torrin says, I'm not really good at marketing myself. Um, cause I just don't, I'm not, a. um, like, you know, when people say, oh, you know, I have all these, you know, letters yeah. behind you. I'm like, okay, like, okay, whatever. Like I need to know what you can do with the kids. Right. Like, doesn't really matter. That, um, yeah. uh, so I purposefully did the master's program for applied behavior analysis, mm. just to, I already knew and understood it. I mean, I was a speech therapist in special yeah. education. It's nothing new information in terms of understanding mm-hmm. the concept. And um, I know a lot of uh, uh, BCBAs in the school get offended when there's a behavior specialist. I'm like, you know, we were doing this before you guys came along, right? Like we actually were managing classrooms just fine using the strategies um, it's not something new. <laughs> like we all know this, but I wanted to find out um, what they were teaching. But I also wanted to get some of the wordage right behind yes. the okay. natural instinct that I was doing because I've been doing education for so long, and I've been surrounded by really good people who do education very well. Yeah. And um, one of the things that I was just not surprised, but I was 
um, frustrated or startled by was the fact that they just say one, there's one class that talks about autism and they don't really talk about autism and they just talk about behaviors. And I don't have a problem with the fact that they only have one class. My problem is when they tell parents, this is the only way and none of them can tell me what autism is. Like that's yes. where I get really visceral besides the yeah. that I hear horror stories, but yeah. so just for reference, I oh, do absolutely. very well understand how it works. I am not against the strategies. I just do not agree with 40 hours for a two-year-old to sit in a chair waiting for a cookie. Um, anyway, yes. go no, ahead. I love that you guys bring up both parts. So the ABA part and then the, the cultural components. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I will say right off the bat, especially in Florida, mm-hmm. oh, yes. ABA in South Florida mm-hmm. is very different than ABA in the rest of Florida. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I will definitely put that out there. Um, one, it's a cultural thing. So, um, bit of a background. So my associates and my bachelor's in psychology, my first master's degree, cause I have two, my first one is in marriage and family therapy because my IEP meetings as a special education teacher turned into therapy sessions. It never occurred for me to do ABA. I had one class in undergrad and absolutely hated it. I thought it was the dumbest thing on this planet. And I was like, I'm going into therapy. I did the master's in marriage and family therapy. The minute um, I graduated because of my background in special education mm-hmm. department, children, families in Miami and Broward County with child net. I ended up getting all the cases that had a child with special needs. Got all it. of them. Majority mm-hmm. of them were children on the spectrum, but there was a variety. It could have been fragile legs with a mm-hmm. syndrome, down syndrome, et cetera. Mm-hmm. When I got licensed as a marriage family therapist, cause there's a difference between the masters and the licensure is, you know, like there's a time mm-hmm. gap. Um, I got a phone call from a clinical neuropsychologist asking me if I wanted to give it a shot. Mm-hmm. Now in mental health, the mental health field, family therapy, mental health, and social work, we all do the same thing, different perspectives, mm-hmm. but we do the same thing. You don't work with kids on the spectrum because it's not within our realm. It's mm-hmm. not in our grad course. So I came into ABA with a very different lens. I came from an educational lens and a family therapy lens. There are pros to ABA and there are cons to ABA in Mm -hmm. my opinion. Mm -hmm. I also do not agree with what we call discrete trial training. You're going to sit at a table and we're going to do this for 20, 30, 40 hours. I don't agree with that. Miami, South Florida does focus more on 20, 30 hours a week, Mm -hmm. but doing from more of a natural perspective, which is the way I was initially trained. Mm -hmm. So I came in from a family therapy perspective, um, implementing parent training, teacher training, caregiver training, Mm -hmm. um, from the pace of the caregiver. Gotcha. So if I walk into your home and you're cooking, stay cooking. Mm -hmm. You're fine. I'm not pulling you out from that. Mm -hmm. Um, if your child is outside playing and we have a goal of social skills, let's take advantage and let's do some social skills more from a natural perspective. I will say, and I recognize my colleagues and people that I have worked with, uh, the ones that do go in straight into ABA have a very Mm -hmm. different, more straight, Mm -hmm. rigid, in my opinion, as politely Mm -hmm. as I can put that, a frame of what ABA is in comparison to somebody like me that came in from the mental health field. Yes. So Florida is a bit different Mm -hmm. because in Florida, you can be a licensed clinician, mental health, social work, family therapy, and work in ABA. You do not need to be certified. So Florida has a bit of like, interesting, you know, guinea pig type Mm -hmm. of thing going on. And there's, it's a good (laughs) thing. And it's a Mm -hmm. bad thing because Mm -hmm. mental health is very mentalistic. ABA Mm -hmm. is all scientific. Mm -hmm. So 
I am a huge firm believer in try everything. Mm-hmm. If equine therapy is going to do it, do mm-hmm. equine. Mm-hmm. If art therapy is going to work, do mm-hmm. art therapy. And this mm-hmm. is very against ABA standards. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are into a holistic approach, I've had clients on the spectrum that are on CBD mm-hmm. and it works. Yeah. Yes. For that child, it yes. works. It yeah, has I'm, worked for I'm all actually a big fan of that person. Yeah. Like yeah. that, it works. Now, mm-hmm. if let's say maybe more of an animal therapy type of training works for your mm-hmm. child, then do that. Yeah. If ABA works, then do ABA. If mental mm-hmm. health works, do mental health. If mm-hmm. you traveling around the world works and that's the therapy, then do that. Yeah. There are so many, especially for the mental health world, we believe that things do not need to be scientific. Not everything can be proven with numbers and graphs in a lab. Yeah. Exactly. Some things are just proven based off of experiences. So we have quantitative studies and we have qualitative studies. And human beings are human beings. <laughs> and everybody's different. I yeah. know for me, I have a 14 month old. I would go everywhere and anywhere. If she came up with a medical diagnosis, neurological, it doesn't matter what it would be. I would be trying everything natural Mm -hmm. and scientific. Mm -hmm. Why? Because there isn't a human being on this planet that can not only define autism, but also see how to quote unquote cure it or quote unquote manage it or quote unquote, whatever. So I'm not going to tell a parent don't do CBD. I'm mm-hmm. not going to tell a parent don't do essential oils. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to tell a parent don't do equine and art. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Why not? Mm-hmm. It might work. Mm-hmm. And if it works, who am I to say yeah. that it's not going to work or it would be, <clears throat> it would be harmful. Mm-hmm. Now the cultural component really hits a lot, especially with the Hispanic community. So mm-hmm. a lot of therapy, especially from an ethical standpoint mm-hmm. is created from, you know, the white American culture. Yes. Um, it is very difficult for you to go into a Hispanic household and have abuela and abuelo, grandma, grandpa, offer you a little cafecito and you're going to say, no, you better be allergic to coffee. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> because I promise yes. you, yes. you're a rapport building yes. and your ability to even have a conversation past of how, how are mm-hmm. you is going nowhere. Yes. And yes. that is part of the treatment process exactly. is gaining trust. Mm-hmm. I always mm-hmm. tell people, and I remember I had to tell this to uh, a certain group of people, I, you know, in regards to the Hispanic community, mm-hmm. when you walk in and you do therapy and you're going into somebody's home specifically, and I want to say there's other cultures that are like this, but I'll only speak on mine because that's the only experience I have mm-hmm. for Hispanic household. You better say, thank you for allowing me in <laughs> Jesus Christ himself can come on planet earth. And Jesus Christ will say, thank you to a Latin mom. You are not entitled to come into our home. Say thank you. Mm -hmm. Allow them to continue with whatever routine they have Mm -hmm. and see what the dynamic is like. Mm -hmm. And if they offer you a cup of water, especially if they come from a very humble background and that's Mm -hmm. all they have, take the cup of water. Yes. Take the bottle. Anna, it's so funny that you said that. It it just reminded me. I lived in Puerto Rico and and clearly- it's my second home. Puerto Rico's like, it's like New Orleans, but in Spanish with beaches. I mean, it's the same, like nobody gets anything done. We're all hanging out. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter if you get things done on time. The world doesn't fall apart. Everybody's fine, mm-hmm. right? Um, but when I lived in Houston, I used to, you know, Houston's extremely diverse. I mean, I can't even yeah. tell you how many languages and translators I had that would go with me oh through the day to go into homes. And so... Um, I've always been fascinated, uh, with cultural differences, but Houston yeah. gave me a lot of insight. And then I've done some traveling out of the country to work in the communities, um, Love that. autism, but 
one of the things I will, you just like, literally, I was like, oh my gosh, when I worked in Houston, like I literally had trouble maintaining my weight because every other culture, except for American (laughs) culture, everybody had food for me, right? Oh yeah. I'm having like coffee at, you know, my mom from Honduras and then I've got to have the sugar cookie. I don't even like cookies, right? But I got to eat cookies. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I go to the next house. My mom in Ethiopia. Now I'm eating Ethiopian food. I mean, I am full as a tick by the time I finish working. Yeah. Everyone's feeding me. And yes. you're right. You have to eat what they give you. That is just part of it. So um, those of you out there listening, if you if you want to help, but you, you know, are not concerned about money and maybe food is not just work in a field where you can go into homes with different cultures and everyone will just seriously you won't have to buy groceries. <laughs> you don't because you just, you get fed. And I think the hardest part, I always tell people all the time when a feeding program for ABA, those are my, I, I, I have to be yeah. careful because I'm going to get in trouble with the board. Um, I dislike majority yeah. of the programs. If I'm yeah. honest, I don't mm-hmm. like the potty training program. I have a very specific mm-hmm. rule for that one. Yeah. Um, if not, it's not done. Yeah. Um, and the same thing with the feeding program. So if I'm trying to teach a child how to eat fruit loops and guess yeah. who else is going to be eating fruit loops. Yeah. I'm going to be eating fruit loops. We're yeah. all going to be eating fruit loops because yeah. you're not going to sit there and go, I don't like fruit loops. Well, then neither does your child. Exactly. Exactly. So, and I'm I, my version, you know, my, I talk to parents a lot and I understand yeah. it's hard. I understand it's it difficult is. for five weeks. We wanted waffles, waffles, waffles. Now you have waffles and they're like, oh, no waffles. And you're like, uh, what happened? Yeah. Um, I get it. But I always say eating a balanced meal is not a job requirement on your application. It doesn't ask you if you eat too much junk food. And your children will choose what they want to eat anyway, once they become adults, like you can, like, you know, we give ours. However, the other part of it is exactly what you just said. I would never want someone to make me eat something that made me feel yucky. I have foods that I do not eat because it makes me feel yucky. And one of the foods, and and I'll just randomly tell this story that has nothing to do. Well, maybe it does. I can make macaroni and cheese. My mother, I mean, I grew up in the South. My mother makes delicious macaroni and cheese. I put macaroni and cheese, whether it's my mother's, whether it's the one I made, I put it in my mouth and I literally get a visceral reaction. I cannot tolerate macaroni and cheese. I love cheese. I love macaroni. I love butter. All the things that are in there. Don't know why. When I put it in my mouth, that and jello, not, right? Not. So when I think of that and I see students really struggling to eat foods that are forced on them, I'm like, I don't want to experience that. I'm not going to make the child do that either. Why would I do that? Right. Um, and there's more fun ways to get kids to explore different foods. Oh, there is. So, Wait, and, there are and, kids and, that don't like Fruit Loops? <laughs> I don't like Fruit Loops. The texture. Straight, straight up, if I had if I had a kid who didn't like Fruit Loops, I just, I'm, I'm turning my wife. Honey, we fucked up. We're putting, we're putting that little basket up for adoption. I don't care. He doesn't like Fruit Loops. I can never understood how you don't like. But no, um, but uh, all, and I get the nutritional yeah. aspect of it. You want your yeah. child to eat exactly. something. Exactly. Yes. All jokes aside, I'm sorry for cutting you off. All jokes aside, no, balanced diet is is kind of important only because from it an is. autistic perspective. Yes. Yes. Uh, if you allow us to eat whatever we want, we're just going to eat shit. And that's why uh, one of the reasons many autistic people, many autistic adults have digestive right. issues. Yeah. We're just not going to eat. Like we, we're either under eaters or over eaters, tends to be no in between. So we're either really skinny 
or like, or you look like me where I'm basically a Snorlax if you roll me around in brown paint. So ridiculous. That there needs to be some teaching of yes, quote unquote balanced diet, but even yes. that's subjective because what like the FDA says the balanced diet is actually kind of bullshit. So yeah, I think I've really- gone to other countries and no one is eating organic. Uh, yeah, that's bullshit. I'm All of it's Africa. bullshit. There are no green vegetables. And that's the other day. I tell, I joke with my Hispanic parents sometimes because they're like, all they want is, you know, let's say chicken nuggets and, you know, I don't know what else. And I'm like, okay, how many times a week have you had arroz, gandules, frijoles, carne frita, palomillo, ropa vieja? You guys eat the same thing every day? ¿Cuál es la diferencia? There's no difference. And they're like, I'm like, come on. And then it's a whole laughter thing. And I'm like, listen, I understand the whole balanced diet, which Mm -hmm. is based on each person. Yes. You know, you want your child to be healthy. You don't Mm -hmm. want to be having to feed them Pediasure. Yes. You know, and the Pedialytes and all these other liquid stuff and everything. Mm -hmm. But I also look at it, which is controversial this way. Mm -hmm. You know, um, there's a lot of adults that don't have these diagnoses that eat horribly and mm-hmm. probably eat fast food every day. The American day. diet itself is, is crap. It's fast food. So if you're talking about you had McDonald's one day, Taco Bell the next, mm-hmm. then you went to Chili's, then you went to Friday's, mm-hmm. then you went to Carrabba's, then mm-hmm. you went to Olive Garden, or maybe you mm-hmm. went to Texas Roadhouse, yeah. or maybe you went to Duffy's, or maybe you went to any of these places or Glory mm-hmm. Days. It's the same type of food. Mm-hmm. The fact that you're in a different restaurant does not justify you're eating the same type of food. So... Now you have a child who is purposely being picky mm-hmm. on food based off of how it feels yes. in their mouth, whether mm-hmm. it bothers them. It's a texture mm-hmm. issue. Mm-hmm. I know there's a lot of us that don't like clams and oysters because mm-hmm. of the gooeyness going down. Oh, yeah, I, I don't down. do seafood at all. You no, can't. No. So I, I understand that. And I think sometimes for some families, I always ask, what is the goal? Yeah. And this is something I say to all parents is the mm-hmm. goal for them, for example, let's say in food for them to try a new food or for them mm-hmm. to do what you're, what you want them to do. Is this a control mm-hmm. goal yeah. or is this a health goal? I like that. Mm-hmm. There are two different goals because mm-hmm. it's one thing for you to say, I want my child to eat what I serve them. That has nothing to do with nutrition. That has to yeah. do with compliance. Yes. That's yes. a different, completely different type of therapy for ODD kids. And it's proven mm-hmm. not to work. That's different. Yeah. But now we're talking about, okay, you want your child to eat what? My favorite is one, and I'm going to get hate from my community for this, rice. <laughs> what nutritional value does rice have? It's delicious. Don't get me wrong. But is your child, every day the world is not going to end if your child no. doesn't like rice. It's not. I now I would probably focus on proteins. Is mm-hmm. it chicken? Yes. Now, I'm not talking about McDonald's chicken. We all don't know what's in there or Tyson's or producing, but I'm talking about chicken. If you get like, do they like chicken? Do they like different types of meat? Is it seafood? Is some type Mm -hmm. of protein? Yeah. I'm more focused on that part. Mm -hmm. And if they like one thing, they're going to be super obsessed with it. I don't see a problem. At least me and again, I'm not a nutritionist. Mm -hmm. I'm not a doctor. I don't know the difference, Mm -hmm. but I don't see a problem with my, one of my clients being obsessed with apples. There's a million apples. Go ahead. You like lettuce, eat lettuce. I had a client who loved lettuce. I don't see the big deal. Yeah. Now I might try and add something to that lettuce, but I think it's a pick and choose your battles, which mm-hmm. is what we say a lot of mental health, which you yes. don't see in ABA in my opinion, yes. is pick and choose your battles. Mm-hmm. How important is this? How is this going to change? Now I understand from a culture component, hey, listen, I want my child to be able to eat something mm-hmm. that his grandmother cooks because it's important for us. Yeah. 
Yes. Okay. That's not a problem. Let's figure that out. And then yes. the plan, the food program can be around that. You mm-hmm. can, in my opinion, mm-hmm. create a food, a feeding program. Mm-hmm. in let's say an ABA mm-hmm. that goes around the culture. Gotcha. Rather than saying for the next two hours, you're not going to have a cookie until you have a bite of the strawberry. Yes. Yes. That totally makes sense. So it, it's a, I, I, and that's how, like, my friend with the Guatemala and father, that's how he had to grow up where he would just be like, he'd have to force himself to eat stuff. At one point, I don't know if we told the story on the podcast, but mm-hmm. I, I know he probably doesn't care if I tell the story. His dad made, his dad's a chef, in fact, a chef at a big, a famous hotel called the Waldorf Astoria. It's where, like, the president's correspondence yep. dinners would be held mm-hmm. for it got bought by the Chinese and shut down. So he was, he, his dad worked there, like big success story from the bottom. Like he started the, he started restaurants as a dishwasher, then bus boy. And so sort of worked his way up to be awesome. a sous chef. That's a Latino place. way. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like dude works like 18 yep. hour shifts, like your typical, like, like yeah. Central American male, mm-hmm. but he, and most of his food's good, but some of the stuff my friend Henry didn't like. And at one point he made, I think tuna, like actual tuna, not like canned stuff. And Henry oh, okay. hated it. And he forced him to sit there and eat it until he started gagging. That's mm-hmm. cultural. It's good. Yeah, it, it, yep. it's co- totally cultural. You do, because with him, you yep. eat what he makes. Mm-hmm. And like, and he's also annoying too, on a side note, because like a little bit annoying because he's a prankster. So like, he'll screw with you if you don't know. Like, he made tamales. And I didn't, and, and I didn't know. He figured out that I didn't know you're supposed to take it out of the wrapping. Oh yeah. Uh huh. So this dude, I was like, so what do I do? It's like, oh, you just, uh, you just eat it. Just, so I'm eating the freaking cornmeal wrapping, and he's just, and he stood no. there with a straight face too, because I'm like, well, I'm not gonna. It's awful because like this tastes awful, but I'm not gonna say anything because then he gives you like this asshole look that that like all I, all like Latino men have. So I'm like eating this stuff, and he just stood there with a straight face, didn't say anything. It was weeks later I mentioned it, and Henry was like, you're not supposed to eat the wrapping. I'm like. Then why didn't why didn't Edgar say anything? He's like, because Edgar's an asshole. That's why. Oh my gosh, that is so funny. That must I can't even imagine digesting that. It's people. awful. <laughs> I ate no, it. No, you're not supposed you, to. You're supposed to. You're, if they if, if if he gives you something, you eat it. Yeah. And if he yeah, gives you more, and there's always more too, which mm-hmm. I've never had a problem with. Like I said, Snorlax and brown paint. So I personally never had a problem, but he'll just keep giving you food, and you, you eat it. Yes, that is a hundred percent cultural for us to where you eat what you're served or you're going hungry and you exactly. do not have another option. And now, they're gonna look at you like you're a scumbag too the entire time. Yeah, you're you know, you're not educated, you're spoiled, you're yes. being a brat. Yes. And you you have to, you have to eat it. Short of yes. you being allergic to it, yeah. you're gonna eat it. And that's a hundred percent cultural. That yeah. is a hundred percent. And it's, so it's hilarious, but yeah, coming it can up be here, hard for kids. Yeah. yeah. And then you're raised, like I was raised in Miami, still Hispanic, but with the American culture of providing yeah. choices. So mm-hmm. what I tell parents is provide choices, which is mm-hmm. AKA the illusion of control. Yes, yeah. exactly. That's it. Like I was, I was told by a family member the other day, I was giving my daughter choices. She's 14 mm-hmm. months and I gave her three different options of what to eat. And she's like, yes. you know, when we were younger, we just never provided options. It was whatever we gave. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just smiled and I said, yeah, the illusion of control. I'm still exactly what she's eating, Yes, yeah. but she gets to choose it. Yes. Now, it's like, and and it, teaches, it also teaches them how to 
self-advocate and pick for themselves. That part, that yeah. part. And a friend of mine said it because she's 100% American from Alabama and I love her to death. And she said it to me perfectly. And she said, well, she was probably raised also believing that she wasn't entitled to a choice or an opinion, mm-hmm. but you're teaching your daughter she's entitled to a choice yeah. or an opinion. Mm-hmm. My mother was 100% raised that way of just old school. You eat and my mom has a very... Uh, specific personality that we joke. And I say this out loud because my mom has said it. She really resonates with the Asperger's community. And we, as her children, all four of us look at her and we're like, we generally believe she has Asperger's. It it comes from somebody. It almost always comes from one of the parents or both. And she's, you know, and she, you just couldn't, she would Mm -hmm. not eat it. This whole thing. If you don't eat this, you're not eating anything. Bet your child on the spectrum is going to win that battle. Yep. They're like seven days later, keep going, <laughs> not eating it. And my mom would not. So when yeah. we went, would go back home to Ecuador for vacation, they would serve things knowing my mom wasn't going to eat it. And then they're looking at us and I'm the oldest of four. Now I came with my dad's appetite. I like everything. Mm-hmm. Now I do have a texture issue, but for the most part, I like everything. There's very few <laughs> things that I don't eat. Yeah. My two younger siblings, my sisters do not have that ability. So they'll look at my mom are you eating this? No, we're not eating this then. And the whole table is like in this uproar. And I can imagine now you add on a diagnosis for some of these families and you're talking about generations of what they have to eat it. And you're like, no, they are don't. you the oldest? I'm the oldest. Oh yeah. That's why. Cause my friend, he's the oldest too. So he, he got the most like Hispanic upbringing. They're all mixed, but he got the most like Hispanic upbringing because he's the oldest. So like the youngest is like the most like typical, like middle class white boy. He even looks it because genetics are a thing. So he looks like his mom who's white. So he he doesn't even look Hispanic. My friend, like my Henry, he's the old, he looks it too. Like Mm -hmm. he looks like Central American. And so, so he got that upbringing. They even referred to their father differently. Like the youngest kid calls him dad. He, my Henry refers to him as poppy. poppy. Like, yeah, uh-huh. it's actually poppy different. Like I noticed wow. that one day I'm like, I like, I didn't notice it until one day I'm like, they actually refer to him differently, even though yes. it's the same guy. Interesting. It's true. it's true. I have more of the Hispanic upbringing also because after high school, I went back to Ecuador and I was supposed to stay for the summer and I stayed for two years. And oh, nice. my, and I joked saying that my aunts had the privilege and honor of raising a Miami spoiled brat teenager <laughs> that came to them at 19 thinking that she owned the world and I did not. And they let me know that very quickly. Of course. Um, but sure. I remember seeing my mom Mm-hmm. with her with her siblings and everything and the one thing my mom instilled in us 100% was to make sure that we had an opinion mm-hmm. and people were going to hear it and if they mm-hmm. didn't want to hear it we were going to leave mm-hmm. and she made sure we all four of us are very vocal which mm-hmm. is a good thing and a bad thing I also married into the Hispanic culture ah. and I'm more of a transparent person, which is the nice way of saying blunt yeah. and confrontational. I don't mind. I don't care who you are. Um, this is why I relate to my mom. Mm-hmm. I am very much transparent and mm-hmm. I say things as it is, regardless of who it is. Mm-hmm. If I don't like the way you are treating somebody, I'm going to mm-hmm. say it regardless of whatever hierarchy you believe you have, mm-hmm. which is courtesy of my mom, mm-hmm. who's hundred percent Hispanic, but looks American because she's blonde hair, blue eyed. Mm-hmm. So they always say they're like, no, no, no. It's que la concha, concha. She's American. She's gringa because she even looks the part. Oh my goodness. You know, like she has my skin tone yeah. comes from her, but she's blonde uh-huh. and blue. And this is my dad. My dad is hundred percent Latino. <laughs> and we just, we grew up being told we were entitled to have our opinion. Mm-hmm. 
Good. And we had it. And I think that was one of the most amazing things to be raised in the 80s and the 90s because I'm 40 now. And then to be able to be told you have a right to an opinion, mm-hmm. regardless of who's in front of you. Exactly. But yep. communicate it respectfully. Yes, of course. Of course. And I think that's where to a degree, what I like about ABA is the mm-hmm. ability to break things down into really tiny mm-hmm. steps. Mental health mm-hmm. doesn't do that. Yeah. So mental health will have a goal and objectives mm-hmm. and ABA. The objective is the goal. Gotcha. The main goal for mental health is the long-term goal. So if I have a long-term goal for a feeding program where my long-term goal as a parent is for my child to have a variety of foods, if I can have a menu mm-hmm. of five different items, that would be my goal. That might be the mm-hmm. long-term goal, mm-hmm. but the objective, my first goal is going to be to expose them to a certain type of food mm-hmm. and to start going through the array of mm-hmm. options and mm-hmm. then creating that menu over time. Yeah. Mental health is meant for six months to a year, really general mental health. Now, if you're talking about deep psychotherapy and you're processing traumas as an adult, mm-hmm. that can take five, 10, 15 mm-hmm. years, yeah. but you're processing things over and over and over again, once a week, maybe twice a week. Mm-hmm. ABA, on the other hand, I view it as, um, we're going to do an intensive, just let's gun it. You know, mm-hmm. we're going hundred miles an hour. How fast can we get there mm-hmm. with the 20, 30, 40 hours? There are some agencies I've seen success at five, 10 hours a week, mm-hmm. but it also depends on the parents at home. Yeah. And that's why I was told parents, I I'll write my plans depending on what the parents are willing to do. Mm-hmm. I know what I think the child needs to work on, but mm-hmm. if the parent tells me, Anna, that's not happening. Mm-hmm. then it's not happening. We'll yeah. change styles. I, my, my best friend, the one's a licensed clinical social worker from Alabama. I, I want to say this, this poor woman probably spent five years trying to teach me reflective listening therapy, which is somebody says some, like if you have a child and they grab everything on the table and just throw it on the floor, the initial Latino reaction is, are you out of your mind? It just, everything in Spanish. Go pick that up. You're not allowed to do that. How are you going to throw yeah, that all, on All in Spanish too. Everything in Spanish. Like that will all be in Spanish. Yeah. And several excellence. Very. And then you're like, and then she would say, on the other hand, you must be really upset to have thrown that mm-hmm. on the floor. It must feel really good. I can say this now, semi biting my tongue <laughs> without laughing. Yeah. I laughed for about five years straight every time she said that in a therapy session. I'm like, who talks like that? You know, that's so funny, Anna. I'm it's- like, this is so white. And she got so offended because it came yeah. out of my mouth. Latinos, yeah. just to let you know, I'm white, but yeah. that's a different white. Different and we call that white therapy. Yeah. I was like, who talks like that to their yeah. kids? You're going to clean this up or I'm going to use you to clean this up. And we're going to mm-hmm. do physical prompting hands over hand and you're cleaning this up. <laughs> and she was like, no, you have to honor their feelings. I'm like, what feelings? What feelings? Exactly. And, and I- then I learned <laughs> there's feelings. Which is nice. Anna, that's so funny because that's very similar to what we call the black Southern culture in terms of we used to make a joke and say, if you are a black child and you are in a wheelchair or you have crutches because you have cerebral palsy, your grandmother will look at you and say, I don't care if you can walk or not. You better pick up that cup that you dropped on the floor. Mm-hmm. And you're like, it's true. Walk. Like that is. Yes. I, it's like, it doesn't I, matter. And I yeah. think that's probably what your friend Torn went through is that in our culture, disability mm-hmm. or not, unless you are yeah. to the point yes. of vegetative state. Yes. Or you are institutionalized amongst very high variety of medications of a cocktail because you, you are that aggressive. Out. You are functional and you're yes. going to figure it out on your unless own. Unless you're dead, basically. Unless yeah, you, like I have, I was raised in part. So for most of my teenage, the reason I laugh so hard is for most of my teenage years. So I grew up with my dad and that was 
kind of hectic, a lot of drug issues, things like that. So I wasn't really raised per se. So I was like wild thing. And then I ended up like some TV show type shit. I ended up my aunt and uncle when I was in high school. And my aunt is very strict. She, she's white, but she's like Catholic and very strict. Yes. And then my uncle was like Puerto Rican, like from the South Bronx. Mm-hmm. But if I would have said some some stuff like knock some stuff over and been like, well, I'm just expressing my feelings. I thought about that. That's why I laughed so hard. I'd be dead. Yeah. Like you, right. you couldn't miss school. Like if you miss school with like a stomach ache no. or something, like you better be like hospitalized. Yeah. Just do, yeah. do, 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 do like. Five feet from death. From oh, you ha- yeah, stuff. you have to oh, yeah. because God forbid not- they believed you and you oh. lied and you try and turn on the TV. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. You're dying. Yes. Get back yeah. in bed. Get back you know? in bed. Yeah. So no, even if you're in bed with the food, like unplug yeah. the freaking TV, take that shit. Like it's it was like boot camp, super, yeah. super strict type stuff. Yes. And I, I can I can only imagine, because I really can only imagine. I don't my job, I don't directly work with parents like you and Stacy. Mm-hmm. Having to explain to parents like like how my uncle was or how my friend's dad was, things like how autistic people need to express themselves and yeah. stimming and things like that. Like mm-hmm. I don't envy y'all because that just must be difficult. <laughs> I think one of the the good things of coming from a mental health background is you learn to see things in comparison too. Mm-hmm. So if a child has a stim, the parent also has a stim. It just might mm-hmm. be in a different way. So it yeah. might be in shaking the foot or it might be in having to hold a cigarette mm-hmm. a certain way or yes. having to grab the phone. And then if you grab your phone and you're holding it with that little bar in the back or something, there's something, there's a similarity. Oh, yes. Yes. And, you know, I always tell parents, they're like, oh, I want them to stop this. Okay, good. Mm-hmm. So you're going to help your child now. Because you're going to stop. <laughs> because you're also going to stop something that you're doing. And that's always my favorite. And they're like, what? And I'm like, yes, because I've noticed you shake your foot. So we're going to, but I can't help that. I'm like, neither can they. Exactly. So I, I get it. And I think people are very fixated on so much on how much they, what they look like and how they're mm-hmm. presenting themselves that mm-hmm. they generally feel and believe that other people are paying attention. Yeah. And you know, and they, and they was, put that on their kids too. Yes. Yeah. And, yes. but the reason they put it on their kids is because the pressure from schools, the things yes. that schools tell parents, if they don't, they can't go to class. If they don't, they can't go to mainstream. If they do, people will think they're weird. If they don't, they'll do this. I mean, I hear it. I'm sure that you do. I hear it every day. You know, yeah. well, if they're not potty trained, they can't go. I'm like, who said we're in charge of people's bladder and bowel movements? Who has the knob to turn yeah. that where they have to be potty trained by 18 months, which is what some people are telling parents has to be done. And that is where the parents feel that pressure to be able to like, I got to get it done now. And it's like, everybody's different. And anyone who has had more than one child, you know, everybody is different. different. And it's, and, and it's interesting when a parent will say, but, you know, I want them to because, you know, their sister and I say, so did you and your brother and sister all get the same grades in school? Like, were you guys all excelling at the same? No, yep. because every human being yep. is different. Just because you birthed them out doesn't mean they're going to be a clone of you. Right. Exactly. They're going to be very different. So with that, I would love because I know we're getting close to coming to an end. I think yeah, but I would love for you to, share. to bring it in. This is good, good conversation. I would love for you to give you an opportunity just to share, like, what is it you do with your business? Because I I love that you are working with families. I love the mental health. Mental health is like my secret hobby. 
which is weird, but it's interesting. It is. It is. I love mental health and the study of the brain. And those were my leisure books. Yes. (laughs) And I still had friends, believe it or not. I had friends and I was still kind of a geeky, weird nerd when it comes to things like that. However, I'd love to know what you do, Anna. So that. So lately, especially in Florida, with a lot of changes that are going on, um, doing two different things. So aside of, you know, I work in ABA, um, it, it does bring in the mental health component. I do provide parent, like training, parent coaching, whatever word you want to use without mm-hmm. it, making it seem like a life coach, just yeah. coaching the parents. This is what you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, here are some adjustments, modifications you can make. Most parents I work with two to three months, mm-hmm. they start seeing improvements and then they're good. Mm-hmm. I'm like, we can take a break, see how mm-hmm. well you do maintaining it, come back if you want. And then that's it. Mm-hmm. So the work that I do is teaching the parents how to better manage what's going on at home. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the times there's a discrepancy between both caregivers, whether they're together or not, there's a discrepancy. One has one style. The other has another style. Mm-hmm. Um, because the way I word it to the parents is I can't relate to you and having a child on the spectrum, but I can relate to you as one being the child of a mother who's on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I can also relate to being your child, the child that's always left in the back in the classroom that nobody pays attention to, that has 20,000 labels that nobody wants to bother with because mm-hmm. it's too hard and it's too mm-hmm. much work. And just trying to figure it out. At the end of the day, every parent wants their child to come out forward and move forward and be productive and be happy, mm-hmm. whatever that might look like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As long as it's a way that they can sustain themselves when we're not here anymore. I yes. want my daughter to be happy, whatever that might look like when mm-hmm. I'm not here anymore mm-hmm. is my goal. So then my goal with the parents is to want to figure out their cultural background, ethnic background, figure out what works for them. What do they like? What do they not like? Mm-hmm. I don't do the whole reflective listening with my daughter. It's very hard for me to be very upset right now. Like I have to really catch myself to do it, you know, and I'm a therapist. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important to when working with parents, I prefer working with parents and with children. So I mm-hmm. like to train other people, which is the mm-hmm. other thing that I just started doing recently is also training the parents. This is how not only how you can maybe help your child manage better in the home, but this is how you can manage that teacher who's not listening. This is how you can manage that therapist. Um, I realized something the other day at another agency, because I also consult for agencies and I go in and I give them my feedback based on what I see. Mm -hmm. And the one thing I saw that really left me disappointed is that there's an RBT that clearly did not like the client she was working with. Mm -hmm. And I had to tell both owners, you have a client that has a lot of potential that is not going to reach it because you have the wrong person working with her. Mm -hmm. And the other, my job mainly is to teach the parent how to identify that. Exactly. Because My daughter, for example, being 14 months is in a daycare. Our best friends also gave birth three weeks after I did. So our kids are in the same daycare and we have two very different ways of looking at it. Mm -hmm. They look at how the teachers interact with them as parents. I don't care if I like you as a teacher. I'm looking at how my daughter responds when I drop Mm -hmm. her off Mm -hmm. and when I'm picking her up. Mm -hmm. If my daughter goes to you, I'm happy. Mm-hmm. whether I like you as a person or not is irrelevant. Yeah. You're good to my daughter. That is what matters. Mm-hmm. So I try and teach the parents, pay attention to your child, especially yes. when they're nonverbal. This is the hardest. Pay yeah. attention to the body language. Look at their hands. Look at their fingers. Are they fidgeting? Are they stimming more? What are they doing to provide mm-hmm. themselves with comfort? If you're leaving them for it with a therapist, because majority isn't in home, ABA can be at home, but OT speech and everything else, everything's in the clinic. And a lot of parents don't stay. 
mm-hmm. even if they're assuming they're even allowed to stay. Mm-hmm. So you drop your child off for four to six hours at a time mm-hmm. with somebody that may not like them. And you have no idea what's going on in that session. Yep. So that my job is to teach the parents what to identify. What is worth your time? Which therapies are the most important based on what's going on in your family dynamics? Because you get out of the neurologist's office and you have speech, OT, PT, depending on it. Then you have the feeding therapy. And then you also have to do these other therapies and nobody agrees with anybody. And then you have ABA going, I need you to put my therapy first because their therapy suck, even though it's 30 minutes and you can work around it. And then you have the teachers going, "Um, listen, uh, we're not going to do any of that. We're going to do this. (laughs) And you as a parent are going, y'all need to get on the same page because this is why parents go F all of this. I'm not doing any of this therapy. I'm going to do the holistic approach. I'm going to homeschool them, which I agree because I honestly think the public school system in Florida sucks, but that's just my opinion. I am a homeschool. I am all about everywhere's public schools suck. New York's public schools are awful too. I mean, it's just, it's horrendous. So for me, my job is to help the parents organize all that. Mm-hmm. What my parents is called is chaos. It's not my mm-hmm. words. There's their mm-hmm. chaos and organize it in a way that works for them. Yes. I have a big rule with my parents, unless <laughs> the people providing you with an opinion mm-hmm. don't doesn't come with the check to pay your mortgage and utility bills and your mm-hmm. bills for the month. I don't care for their opinion and neither will you. Mm-hmm. Everybody has an opinion until they have to pay your rent. Exactly. Exactly. So we're going to find something that works for you. Yes, exactly. And helps your child move forward. And then that's it. And then the other thing that's led to this is now me also working with agencies. So then I subcontract with agencies where I provide them with the training program to better train their personnel, not only the analysts and the RBTs, but the office staff. Mm -hmm. Good. Because it's, we are human. Mm-hmm. And we can't expect to like everybody that comes in front of us, yeah. but we should also be able to advocate for ourselves as professionals and say, listen, this is not a good environment for me. I don't mm-hmm. think this is a good fit. I mm-hmm. think this child would do much better under somebody else. Mm-hmm. And if you're working in an agency that says, no, you need to, own, you need to work with who we tell you to work with. You need to find another agency. Exactly. I'm because so glad to children. hear you say that, Anna, because I rarely, you know, I used to say that all the time in the schools um, that we're human beings and I love I mean, I don't know if I've met many kids that I'm just like, like, oh my gosh, I'm all about the kids and I love people in general, but there are cases where there is a, like your auras just don't mix and you can't even figure out why. And you're like, um, I mean, I remember this, this, I had an early intervention class and I had two wonderful, I love my, uh, whatever the new names are, paras, teacher assistants, you know, they were in the classroom, we were all working together and I will never forget. We had two, two little kiddos. And for some reason, this child just, and I am like, I mean, I can sit in a meltdown for three hours and take a nap. Like it does not phase me a bit. Right. Yeah. But I was just not able to, I was just like, I like really just, it's not working. Like I'm just not feeling. And so then we had this other kiddo where my parent was like, Miss Stacy, he's going to have to. And I said, okay, Miss Anna, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to tag him. Brandon and Brandon was, Brandon was a, and I say this, I still keep in touch with Brandon and his mother. He was literally a sensory dysregulated, discombobulated mess. I mean, from like walking into the wall, I mean, his sensory was just all not, it was just, that was Brandon and it drove Miss Jane crazy. But Stacey, he's got, 
So we, we decided, uh, I mean, we had other kids in the classroom. It's not like we took them in separate rooms, but I was like, okay, yeah. I'm going <laughs> to do this. And you're going to modify the environment. And I think, yeah. And I think that is, like you said, it's a professional ethical responsibility yes. to say, I don't think I can be my very best with this particular client. It may be yeah. for someone else. And I say that all the time when parents, like you said, helping parents and guiding them, you have a right as a parent to say, I don't think this is working and I need a new therapist. Now that's a whole yeah. other podcast with the yeah, that's, people in rural, yeah. but um, I'm glad to hear that there are that messages being given to parents because it's important for, for them to know. And I do think that therapists should be able to say, I love that you're supporting parents. I love the mental health unit. I, I love the mix. Again, I can't go back to school. I'm not going back to school. No, don't go back I to wanted school. to be a pediatric psychiatrist at one time. And then I realized, oh, they don't really work with the children. They just do med management. It's not really like you really get to work it's with different. the kids you do, but you really don't. And I was like, mm-hmm. I don't think that's really going to be where I can like fit. So I think I found my niche definitely as a. I love what you do because therapist. if I could go back, it would be to major in speech therapy. You know how I just, oh, have I ever told you the story, Torrin? I'm going to tell my last story, my last story of the episode. Because <laughs> I haven't told this story in a while. Mm. Um, to become a speech therapist. I always gravitated to children with special needs who had an IEP, if we don't want to yeah. use, I think we're not supposed to use special needs anymore. There's so many, I can't keep Wait, up with we're the not? Using it. Since oh, when? There's always these movements of stuff we're not supposed to say. So it's like, it's exhausting. Um, and like, I was the one that my mom would say, who is that kid with Down syndrome in the backyard? And I'm like, oh, Miss Nancy's grandson is here for the summer. And my mom's like, oh my gosh, what is she doing? Right. That's me. Well, I went into anthropology initially and wasn't really sure because I love, I love human beings and I love people yeah. and I love studying cultures. And um, I wanted to live with the Yanomamas for a year. I mean, that's all I wanted to do. That's right. Awesome. And my dad looked at me and said, so what are the chances of you living with the Yanomamas for a year? Okay. Well, you know, I love that you want to be an anthropologist and you can do you but I really want you to be able to take care of yourself. <laughs> Not sure of anthropology. Anyway, fast forward, I was watching a television show and I've always worked with children. I'm watching a television show and I was watching Lou Grant. Mm. And Lou Grant had a grandson that came into the newsroom and his grandson was deaf. And they were introducing sign language. You know, back in that day, introducing sign language on TV was like, whoa, big wow. deal. And I watched it and I looked at my mom and I said, that's what I want to do. Didn't even know what it was. Didn't know what it was. Literally picked a school. Speech language there had no clue. All I know is I want to do that. I want to work with the kids who cannot. I want to do like, that's what I want to do. Ended up taking my first like speech 101. And I said, if I'm a speech therapist, I can work with all the disabilities. And that was it. That, that was it. And of course, I am a huge verbal processor. Clearly, that is very evident um, that I'm a talker. So speech therapy was a great. No, but I love I love speech therapy because I think people confuse it and think it's only about pecs or only about yes. certain saying certain it, words. It only, and you have the words. pragmatics, you have the what yes. we call in ABA interverbal conversation, just yes. being able to yeah. initiate a conversation, carry a conversation, end mm-hmm. a conversation, being social. Yes. Uh, recognizing social cues. Mm-hmm. Like there's so many things 
you speech therapists do that nobody talks there's a lot of us in the mental health field and in the ABA field that we just look at you guys in awe, like, oh my God, like the specialties you guys have. Mm -hmm. And I really wish speech therapy had the amount of hours ABA did. Yeah. It used to. It used to in Florida. It used to. When I was a special ed teacher, we had speech therapists come in 15, 20 hours per kid. It was fantastic. Yes. And it worked for some of the kids. It really, Mm -hmm. I generally think a lot of hours sometimes really allows a child to move forward a little bit faster mm-hmm. if and when all the pieces are correct. Of course, of course. You know, but and we did have a movement. I don't know if you remember, but we were doing, um, they were actually doing pragmatic language classrooms for kids who had social pragmatic. And yeah. I remember the year it started and we had our first class. And like you said, the hours, right? The in the right environment. And that yeah. was actually when I stepped out of school speech therapy as the role, but I'm always doing speech therapy. And I said, I want to get in the classroom and do early intervention. I want to be with, I want to do it. I want to give them speech therapy all day. (laughs) And that was the way for me to do it, um, to get in the classroom with them. Cause I was always in, every time I had a break, I was in the early intervention room because I knew the more they get right. Not that they didn't have great teachers, but uh, speech therapy is very different than it was it when I went through the system. Um, I've called the a lot of things are different. I get confused. Yeah. It's, um, it's very different. I know one of the things yeah. I'm trying to do here with, in addition to everything else that I'm doing mm-hmm. is I notice, at least in Florida, I don't know about the States that you guys are in. There's no daycares for these kids. Yeah, there's not. I yeah. can't tell you how many clients I've had receiving yeah. ABA that we go inside the daycares and daycares are like, yes, please come because we don't know what to do. And they're open and God bless them. We're mm-hmm. able to come in and do, but I'm like, is there a yeah. discount? Cause no offense, because you're not providing them mm-hmm. with the same education. Yeah. You're not slowing it down. I mm-hmm. walked into one and I just, I wanted to kill the school cause it's a very high end mm-hmm. preschool daycare VPK program. And all they did was one teacher would give the specific child her own iPad and just leave them in the corner of the room for the eight hours. And I was like, are you out of your mind? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't know why it doesn't exist. I'm pretty sure there's a lot of financial parameters and liabilities yeah. around it, but I know at least in Florida, and if anybody's, if you guys want to do this, please open up a special daycare. Please know. open one up. It's especially for the autism community, not yeah. to exclude anybody else. I'm not going to do yeah. it, but nobody knows what to do. So yeah. if you can it's have a daycare mm-hmm. program that has OT and speech mm-hmm. And has maybe some ABA as needed and mental health, art therapy, equine. If you can get all of those things, music therapy, get all of that stuff in there. And just hopefully at least their first years of life, they're in a positive environment surrounded by professionals who know what they're doing. Exactly. And I'm going to leave it on that. I think that's perfect. I think that's a good place to leave it off. Obviously, all of your info will be in the description for anybody who's interested in checking you out. And once again, Anna Marie, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. I love, love, love talking to other people who do what I do because there's a lot of us, but we're scattered. Yes, (laughs) exactly. And and there's a lot of us, but a lot of us are full of shit. So that's another thing. (laughs) Like there's there's people that have like huge followings, just clearly don't know what they're talking about. But on that note, Stacey, that's why we are... That's why I I messed up our own outro. That's why we're trying to shift the narrative on everything autism. Man, I botched the hell out of that. See ya. (laughs) Anna, how did you find us on 